Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tarot for a Troubled Time, the podcast in which we reflect on our experience of living through the COVID-19 pandemic using the cards of the tarot. I'm your host, River Rose. Well, here we are. We've reached episode 10 of the podcast. Since the last episode, I finally returned home to Brooklyn, so I'm back beside the perpetual noise machine that is the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, the BQE. So don't be shocked if you hear rumbling and trucks bouncing and sirens. Uh, Since it's the 10th episode, I thought I'd review the so-called rules I've been following throughout the podcast in case you miss them. Each week, I'm doing a tarot card reading using no more than three cards, depending on the question and the context for the week. After I do each reading, I do not put the cards I've pulled back into the deck. I set them aside, and the following week, I draw from the remaining cards. And I'll keep doing that until we run out of cards. This is going to allow us to look at every single card of the tarot deck together. And it's going to give us a mega reading that unfolds over time that is going to take us through the troubled time we're living in together, the COVID-19 crisis. In the episodes we've done so far, we've used 23 cards, which means that we have 55 cards to go. This week, I once again traveled across what is technically a closed border to return home to the U.S. from Canada. If you've traveled by plane anytime since March of this year, you'll know what a surreal experience it is. Airports are mostly empty and have a post-apocalyptic feel. Security is in some ways quicker and in some ways more complicated with temperature checks, social distancing, and so on. If you're lucky, as I was when I left the U.S. last month, you'll be on a flight that is not full and have plenty of room to yourself. But if you're not lucky, as happened when I returned home this week, you'll be on a full flight and much closer to a large group of strangers than you probably have been in a very long time. Either way, breathing the same air as a group of others on a plane is probably not the best idea right now, even with masks, and I wouldn't recommend it unless absolutely necessary, as it was in my case. Um, In any case, to be safe, I went for my third COVID test of the summer, and now I'm waiting for the results. Given that I traveled back home after spending the end of the summer with my parents, this week has been one of transition for me. And I'm not alone in this because this was a big week of transitions in general. On Thursday, with the harvest moon, we entered a new lunar cycle. If you're Jewish, you also marked Rosh Hashanah this weekend, one of Judaism's high holy days. The holiday is filled with rituals that mark the beginning of the year, and in a cosmic sense, the birthday of the universe. In the Northern Hemisphere, autumn begins this week, and of course, in the Southern Hemisphere, people will be welcoming spring. In the U.S., we experienced a painful transition as we lost Associate Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who lost her battle with pancreatic cancer on Friday, September 18th at the age of 87. The contribution of Justice Ginsburg to the advancement of women's rights, human rights, and justice in the United States is incalculable, 
and our loss during a moment of deep crisis in the U.S. has sent shockwaves throughout the country. Ginsburg's death will surely trigger an ugly and dirty battle to fill her now-empty seat on the court. Even though in 2016, the Republicans who held the majority in the U.S. Senate, as they do now, blocked President Obama's Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland, claiming that since it was an election year, a president should not have the right to appoint a Supreme Court justice until the people had a chance to vote in the presidential election. And yet... Do you think that those same Republicans won't try to rush a nomination through the Senate less than 50 days before the upcoming election so that they can stack the Supreme Court with super conservative retrograde judges so that they can roll back gains made on reproductive rights and reverse other progress that the court has made over time? Of course they will. It's going to get fucking ugly, friends. But let's not focus on that for this moment. In fact, I'd like to focus on a proactive question this week. Go with me here. I'm going to go on a tangent now. I'm already warning you. I grew up in the 80s, and this week after my trip, some song lyrics I used to be obsessed with as a teenager bubbled up in my brain. They're from a song by Depeche Mode called Blasphemous Rumors, and they go like this. I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors but I think that God's got a sick sense of humor. And when I die, I expect to find him laughing. I thought of those lyrics in connection to COVID, which is a virus that has forced us physically far apart from other people. In a sense, it has forced us to be afraid of other people. It seems to me though, as a species, our survival relies on collaboration, on social structures, on being close. But we seem to be in a period where, COVID aside, we're separating ourselves more and more into factions and warring factions at that. Now, I don't know if there is an organizing principle in the universe that some call God, but it seems to me that if there is, that being really might have a sixth sense of humor to generate a virus that is driving us even further apart than we already were, and whose very existence is actually exacerbating that separation. What with some people being convinced that the virus isn't real, some people being convinced that it was unleashed intentionally, some being hostile about taking the measures necessary for keeping COVID from spreading quickly. <sighs> All this made me think, in this period when so many of us are avoiding other people, what if we set an intention to do the opposite? What if we set an intention to do whatever we can to unite other people and to unite with other people, to support other people, particularly if those people are different than we are? What if we chose to stand up for others who have less power than we do, less privilege than we do? What if we chose to be allies of others? Well, that's easy to say, but how do we do that? And so I come to my question for this week. How can I be an ally. Before I go to the reading, I want to do a quick check-in about the meaning of the word ally. As we know, an ally is a party that formally cooperates with a party of a different affiliation for a common purpose. For example, one country can choose to be an ally of another country during a war, supporting each other in efforts to overcome the conflict. In a contemporary context, 
the word ally has come to mean someone who supports another for the purpose of achieving equality or stopping discrimination or outright oppression. It seems to me we're in a moment where it's up to all of us to be allies when we can. For white people to be allies to our black siblings, for heterosexual or cisgender people to be LGBTQ allies, for men to be allies of women, and so on. I wanted to keep the response to the question pretty simple, so I chose to draw two cards and to use a two-card cross, which, as you'll recall, is the same as the center of the Celtic cross spread. The first card represents the situation, and the second card, which crosses it, represents a challenge to the situation or the opposing factor. And so with the question in mind, how can I be an ally and the two-card cross ready, I drew the Four of Cups reversed and the Moon reversed. The Four of Cups reversed and the Moon reversed. One minor arcana, one major arcana that combine in a fascinating way to answer this question. Let's take a look at each card. In the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, the Four of Cups depicts a young man under a tree. His arms are crossed and his legs are crossed, indicating that he is not open to the world around him at all. In the grass in front of him are three golden cups and a magic sky hand, which occasionally appears in this deck, usually in the aces, is floating in front of him, trying to hand him a fourth cup. But the man doesn't appear to be interested in the cups. Even a magical, mystical hand that appears from the sky doesn't get his attention. And the young man just continues to sit, closed into himself. The card in the deck we're using, the modern spellcaster's tarot, is pretty similar, minus the magical sky hand. A man sits cross-legged, possibly in a meditative pose, surrounded by four cups. Above him are the branches of a tree that are dotted with beautiful bright red buds, but the man seems to notice nothing about the scene around him, and he seems to be focused only what's happening inside his head. This card can indicate withdrawal from the world or indifference to it, a state of mind of being unreachable or even inconsolable. A person who is in a Four of Cups state of mind might not notice opportunities in front of them because they're too stuck in their mind, too preoccupied or too apathetic to be moved by the world around them. They are likely to say no to whatever comes their way. But very interestingly for us, this Four of Cups is reversed, which indicates a willingness and enthusiasm to say yes to current opportunities. And so on the question of how to be an ally, the suggestion is that we are actually being presented with an opportunity to do something positive. And we have to take it. We will take it. That we are in exactly the right frame of mind and we have the emotional intelligence to seize the opportunity and run with it. Don't even think about it. Just do it. Don't think about being perfect. Don't think about the details. Just do it. But... What is the moon reverse telling us? What is the opposing factor if we are emotionally ready to engage with the world and to be an ally to our siblings who need us? Now, I confess, I, I sometimes struggle with interpreting the moon card, and with this reading, it took me a while to see the meaning. But here's what I think we can gather from it. Let's first go through the depiction of the card together. In the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, the moon, number 18 of the Major Arcana, is literally a very bright, full moon that is shining over a grassy landscape. On either side of the scene is a tower, one to the left, one to the right. 
in the foreground are three animals, all with their attention turned up towards the moon. To the left is a dog, to the right is a wolf, and they appear to be howling at the moon. Between them is a crayfish, a little crayfish, who is crawling up out of a small pool of water in the foreground and who is also seemingly focusing its attention on the moon. A long winding path stretches through the center of the card and there are also 15 particles or bits of dew in the shape of Yod, the letter of the Hebrew alphabet that symbolizes God, raining down to the earth from the moon. As if there weren't enough symbolism in this card, in the modern Spellcaster's Tarot, we also have other phases of the moon depicted on the card, so that it looks like there are three moons in the sky, one full in the center, flanked by one waxing and one waning over each tower. Uh, the crayfish has an Ankh symbol on its shell, the Egyptian symbol of life, and placed at the center of the dog, the wolf, and the crayfish is a black cube. I don't know. It's a lot for one card, but overall the card symbolizes our ability to tap into our intuition or our unconscious, even when we don't have the ability to see a clear path ahead of us. In the absence of daylight, we have to rely on our instincts and our own nature in order to determine the appropriate direction to go in. Now reversed, the moon card can signify a complete inability to tap into our intuition or to go within and to decide on a proper direction. Or on the other hand, it could also mean the coming of the dawn, the revelation of something new that will allow us to see things very clearly in a way we haven't up until this moment. In the context of the question, how can I be an ally? I think this card is doing a lot of heavy lifting I think the opposing factor is our response when we truly see what it means to be an ally. Because being an ally is hard. It doesn't mean just posting supportive things on social media. It means standing up to your bigoted relatives at the holiday table or the holiday Zoom. I don't know. However, we're celebrating holidays right now. Or speaking out at the grocery store or in the subway or at work when you see someone who has less power than you because of the color of their skin or their gender or sexual orientation or immigration status or income being discriminated against or being treated with disrespect. When you're really faced with the reality of being an ally, when you see that reality in the clear light of day, you realize that it can be uncomfortable and unpleasant and even dangerous depending on the circumstances. But you know what? We have to do it, particularly now, in whatever way we can with whatever tools we have as individuals. Because we're in a period when we're sliding further and further away from justice and from equality. And more and more people are losing their rights in the U.S. and in many other places. And so in a in addition to reminding us that seeing allyship clearly makes it evident for what it is, a difficult mammoth task that we have to tackle every day, not just when it's convenient. It's also something that we shouldn't expect to do perfectly every day. And sometimes we can do it in a polite way, like the domesticated dog. And sometimes we have to be wild about it, like the wolf. And sometimes we just have to muddle through in simple ways, like the crayfish. But whether we can run on a well-lit path or crawl in the dark, 
we have to embark on this journey. Both cards remind us that we have to tap into our emotions, our compassion, our love for our fellow human beings to guide us. And we have to do what our gut says is right. And so with that, I end this week's reading. I sincerely appreciate you for listening and I hope you got something out of it. I'll share the reading on Twitter and Instagram. Please look for it on my personal account at Calm Me River Rose. If you have questions, comments, and suggestions for me, you can also email me at IamRiverRose at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, I encourage you to leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can and to share this podcast with your community. I'll see you next Monday. Be well, take care, and remember, in the words of Justice Ginsburg, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you.